And look before you love. Part three. You're crazy. He did not yell. He did not look angry. He just sat there, stating it as an almost passive observation, except for that fact that he held her even as she almost turned to dust. Marcia has never told a whole story to herself, but he, in a way, forced her to. She lost the skin she would hide in when Isadora vanished into the sunshine, but he wouldn't let her hide forever. Isadora is a name equivalent to happiness in the dictionary of Marcia Rosales Vincent. As her youngest older sister poured them both tea near their makeshift tent out in the depths of the forest from Marcia's quinceanera, that correlation could not fit any longer. This whole ordeal would not have been odd except Marcia's quinceanera was still eight months away and her sister's face was only real as plastered across billboards with cursive mejas vistos throughout a decade. The most haunting billboard overlooked the path to her martial arts class where the sun had long burned the outlines of her hair onto the black canvas of a defunct sign otherwise, and her smile faded into the seasons. This was very much like the memory Marcia still held on to as time continued to go on. You could never forget her inside a terrible world. Isadora the sister who grew dove's wings and disappeared into the horizon on her lover's motorcycle. Yet, here she was, at that time, near the tent they both put up. And Isadora would not let Marcia squeeze the lemon over their cups, like pinching fairy dust into the little saucer cups, like when the latter was so young and it was not their normal setup of mix-and-match teas inside one plastic bag. And let's play who mixes the worst one! Marcia found her late at night when she returned from the films with a car full of boys. The moon shone as a silver coin across the polluted aura of their lower-class abode. But it was as if she knew she would find her. Because the whole night when she dozed from epic highs, that billboard stalked her loose dreams with her sister's hair, burned into even the darkest streaks. In fact, Marcia was halfway up their house to sleep under the stars, if it meant she could be closer to a faded memory when she felt someone watching. Inside their garden, swaying on the makeshift swing like her feet were carried by the water, she saw 
Isadora. Seeing her was why Marcia did not mind cutting open her knee for the thousandth time, and she ignored the neighbor's demonic dogs waking with a crescendo of barks despite so many scars from them on her hands. They collided like a black hole and a nova, the air around them electric. Yet then... In some sick reenactment of their memories with tea, their energy crackled on Marcia's side, suffocating as the two barely spoke, but fell into the death of a static TV when you turned it off on Isadora's. As it was clear, she had forgotten how. Isa, Marcia whispered, then to match the quiet wind rustling the branches and baby roots of all the trees. They took hours to reach this place, but it was mostly because Marcia could not escape the torrent of tears because her sister was not imagined for sure anymore, no longer some cursed daughter roaming or dead in the world. She touched Isadora's hand as it paused midair, not even finished yet with pouring herself her second cup of hibiscus. Her blue eyes cracked with pink veins as the sound of the river reminded them she would outlive them both for years, untouched and ambiguous as bodies of water always are, shifting as they wanted and dragging life along. Father spoke of Isadora as much as one saw dirty styrofoam pieces of gas station pop cups on the streets. In the small chances when they acknowledged each other's existence, when Marcia caved into cooking breakfast for him since the other three turned their nose up to their hungover purple and blue father, he would call the missing sister the most terrible adjectives he made up every day alongside bruja as if it were a comfort. In a way, her damned mention stood to him as a reminder of his current fucked up life, even though he was the one who sold her and she had no other choice but to run. Isn't that right, Marcia? he would say with half a cackle. She gave him too much food each time so he would stay quiet all day. Marcia did not expect her sister to be well at all, but the most uncomfortable fact was she still wore that sunburst tank top she ran away with, except inside out, over her pinprick slouching chest and her hair. Looked like a wolf's dragged in the mud, but she managed to shower in rainwater. Her cheeks were cut, sharpened by the valleys of her tears like some twisted form of La Llorona before she went completely demented. Bites in her neck and bruises on her knees screamed, but Marcia knew she... The angel she always played in their little backyard games did not choose them to be like that ugly scars. Isadora set the kettle down in the middle of Mama's last remaining woven blanket and sat up straight. She took Marcia's chin into her spindly fingers. The tension in her lips commanded the younger to listen carefully. Mi amor, mira antes de amar. What? 
Marcia asked as her eyes stung because she'd waited and prayed to those empty gods in the skies so long. Yet, Issa came back just to not say she'd missed her. Look before you love. It was meant for her soul, not human ears, which is why she could not yet hear. When they saw Mother curl into clay inside the anger of Igazu's palms, the two never touched wild water again. It took the other three time, but they moved on in their own ways with life, just as in the matters of love. Isadora's dull eyes turned into endless dead pupils as the younger shook her because those destructive rivers of tears returned. They were proof of too much welled up inside behind a cracking wall. Screams ripped the younger's throat apart because she was selfish and didn't care for anything besides her own broken one. Why did you leave me? Where did you go? Why did you stop loving me the most? You were like my mama. But such a sorrow possessed the older's shoulders that she barely could breathe, much less answer. Neither could tell you how long it was until they settled into the lullaby of the river again. But they drank their tea with bare feet digging into the soil of what felt like hollowed ground. Isadora was warming up to speak, but... She set her cup down when the clouds rolled over the skies like a curtain from the south. She looked at Marcia like she would fly away. So Marcia snatched her hands and held her tight. Marcia could never know her one true love left her stranded, miscarrying their baby, in a thunderstorm with nowhere to go since this is the part she would have told. Somewhere further in the forest, the rain started, since the river grew louder like a heartbeat in their ears. Isadora took it as the reckoning and chose five of the most important and misguided words Marcia would ever hear. Do not believe your luck. She said them in a strong and pointed tone as she dissolved into ashes inside her little sister's arms. Too tired of existing, unloved and afraid of the rain for one last time. She'd always hated thunderstorms, just like Mother. But this time, it killed her. The bruises on her knees and the bites on her neck burned like amber-hot coal. Marcia screamed louder than the rain closing in on them. She sobbed for hours that she'd lost her again. There stood one dry teacup, so she gathered her sister as the precious fairy dust she was, and hid her under many things inside the tent as the rain passed. This is why sitting across from someone was never so intimate before for Marcia. Not since Isa. But she felt those grains of ash haunt her palms even now as his presence illuminated her mind. She found herself burdened by sudden flashing thoughts of, Am I sitting up straight enough? Does he like purple lipstick? Should I order a samarino or a salad? 
While flickers of Isadora's hair burned on the billboard, they passed, clawed up from the back of her mind. She settled on something that she could consume prettily. A very tall cappuccino with a curling pink straw that she could look at him in just the right way. He had a whole field of golden flowers in his eyes, just an absolute divine energy so full of life, yet subdued like he would sit at the edge of the bed after sex and just braid your hair. Instead of sleeping, he would do it down and push it up until it broke free just to run his fingers through and start over again and again. You would return an indelible kiss when he would at last let you catch his hand, and the love-making would begin again. Except you would crave that hot kiss on the side of your neck, to burn like amber-hot coal. Marcia? His voice grew louder over the humming fans spinning around until she returned to Tuneda de Café. Across the table from him... He, staring at her with a humored expression. What? she blurted, her cheeks blooming. I asked if you're sure you just wanted a coffee. Her eyes darted across the shining speckled tiles of the cafe. Something hummed in her head, like the sound of a sand clock never running out. The tip of her finger met with the edge of her spoon as she reached for something to hold to ground her, but too roughly, and it flipped over and fell to the floor. I mean, you said coffee. She stuttered in her rush to hide herself as she tucked under the table to grab her spoon. Ashes. A fairy ring of ashes lounged around his shoe that rested on the spoon quite on purpose already. His eyes caught her even under with a devilish, knowing sheen that made her stomach burst and twirl. Ah, Dios mio, she wanted to cry, for he was such a tease, and her brain was falling even faster than from all her illicit highs. She bumped her head on the table and swam up again against her seat. But, again, he was already up and waiting. What are you doing? She yelled on accident, causing the staff to turn in curiosity, but he just leaned back in his chair like a king who knows his throne. What are you doing? He asked in a sultry tone. Then his eyes swung to his nails as he asked again, Also, are you sure you just wanted coffee? I said I would cover lunch, too. He pulled his jacket's collar, something she noticed he did quite often, like he would pull a goddess to the edge of his bed by the band of her skirt, except Marcia was proud to be something else. If you want to take something for later... For when you're hungry, feel free. Again, I'll pay, don't worry. The waiter approached. Mi amor. No! Marcia chirped with an edge, unfortunately forgetting to look away from him. What? he said. He stopped his order with the waiter midway. Mira antes de... No, Marcia whispered after apologizing. 
The tiles under her feet, she noticed, felt a bit too runny, as if they were melting under her. He ordered, and so did she. The waiter said something about dessert being free and said sorry because it was suddenly very hot. Their A.C. had been dying. He, of course, was benign and so kind, but Marcia still did that trick with the straw when their drinks came. She knew she could not charm him like anyone else. That he had to pick to be moved like a stubborn chess piece. But that was what he did. He sat back in his chair and watched everything, his face not betraying anything because he enjoyed every small second of it. Mi amor, came her voice again as a different waiter returned with their food, tearing him away from her. Marcia's fingers burned through the fancy napkin she wrung between her hands. No. The first one told her to come over here and steal him. Mi amor. It was like a broken record as he kept talking, but not to her. To the beautiful new waiter. She took off the family heirloom necklace after he looked at it a little, like she would take off her shirt if they were anywhere else. And it made Marcia grow claws through her sub. He gave her the necklace back and set up his tip already in her hand. He touched her slowly, tracing the side of her pinky and under before leaving. Rose petals pushed through all of the woman's skin in her face. At last she left, and he returned to her. He scribbled something on his napkin before asking, How's the sandwich? And look before you love. Isadora echoed through the elements of the world she dissolved into, like the saddest old song plucked with the heartstrings of earth vibrating across multiple dimensions, but disjointed. The food in Marcia's stomach turned into a snake slithering up like the lies from father must have done to mother. Like his number or something left on the napkin for the waiter when he didn't even tell Marcia his name. Another woman outside the window on a bike in tiny shorts passed the cafe spitting gum on the concrete. Golden hair catching his golden eyes for a moment. Except it hit the bottom of the borders causing them to combust into little fire shards. Her American god glanced to the side as if he thought of reacting for a moment. But then decided his food was more important. Meanwhile, the workers and pedestrians on the other side freaked. How's the sub? he asked, repeating. Saucy, based on your fingers? Marcia frowned as she looked at them. Yes. What's on your napkin? He stopped mid-drinking and held it up. I forget the tip cultures when I travel, so I take the American average and round it up a bit. Boring math. With rough and irate strokes, she cleaned her fingers as she talked. I don't even know your name. He chuckled. You never asked. Then he crossed his arms over the table and leaned closer. Do you want to talk about something? What? Marcia sneered at the people trying to clean up the glass. 
You're not scared of randomly breaking glass windows? He blinked. As much as I'm scared of that dust devil conveniently near us. You're so annoying! You don't even call me by my name! But I did. You just don't hear me, he said softly. Marcia rubbed her forehead. The hum, it was getting so loud. Why did you save me if you're so quick to care about someone else? She made an obvious side-eye to the beautiful waitress running out the door. His hand covered hers as the asphalt on the other side of the cracked window broke into small pieces, being sucked into the dust devil turning into a full tornado. I didn't save you. I stopped you. For a moment in time, the singular thoughts running through her head were the love gate and everything that happened around it. Then, how Issa gave up in the forest that night, and why she picked a death so much like Mother's because she wanted to destroy herself rather than the whole damn world. Anger boiled over inside her. Yes, Marcia had always been so blasé about if she would be alive each day because she knew she would follow Mother and Issa. You made me fail, she yelled, pointing her fork at him. Petty, but it was what she wanted. She could not control anything but the outcome of her life and the way she told herself the events that passed through it, but... Here was this man, so intent on being a good human, taking away her small rights to contentment. He shrugged, just looked at the fork like the little thing it was. I watched you. You started like everyone, just photos and looking. But then you wanted to jump. Nothing to put your feet on to get to the other side of the edge, so then you did this. He pointed to the chaos building up outside. And suddenly a project that was not as cheap as people think crumbles like toothpicks. People watch out for each other, but there's just something about you. I couldn't let you fall. And I feel like you hate me for a second and then you love me for it just by your face alone. So I think you want to talk to me about something because you've not had anyone to listen to it. Marcia sat still for a minute. The fans on the ceiling slowed right before they were about to come undone. Will you help me run away? Take me home with you. He removed his hand opted to take both of hers in his instead. Come here. She found herself sitting in his lap and holding him as tight as he held her. Despite the police officer saving people from massive cracks in the earth now, little fires everywhere from blown-up cars and complete and utter chaos outside, he didn't make her move. I don't want to be an evil witch she said between sobs, so confused and angry that nothing could ever be easy to say. But I don't want to die like my mother and sister. He kissed her forehead. Then don't romanticize the past and stay present in the present. 
You've got someone here for you now. She sucked her tears in and sat back to look at him. His face was questioning, not afraid. I just said I'm a bruja, and you're not. You don't. He tapped a cheek gently. I can't relate with it, but why should I be afraid of the power when I really like the person? Her eyes grew wide. Wait, you like me? Her American god pulled her back into a hug. Enough to know you'll get my number, love. But I'll still be here for a month. And so Marcia sat with him long past the workers fled. She decided Mother and Isadora were wrong, believing nothing in their weird and intimidating lives could go right. You could trip plenty, but it did not mean you had to fall. As the chaos in her mind simmered, so did the chaos she caused outside. A fan gave up and plunged from the ceiling, which made him just laugh as he curled her hair. She startled, but made a circle on accident in the air and found that the sound of an hourglass sand timer in her head could be turned upside down as she undid the destruction she caused. You're crazy, he did not yell. He did not look angry. He just sat there stating it as an almost passive observation, except for that fact that he held her even as she almost turned to dust, even as he watched the depths of her power. You just heard the final part of the Love and Story special and Look Before You Love. Remember to follow the podcast from wherever you're listening to hear stories and prose similar to it, and subscribe to the YouTube channel for more special content. Fairy's Muse short film debuts on August 6th, 2020. Take a listen in the back catalog to discover its magic again. As always, links to more content are in the description. All my love, Ina.